Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death, where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. How you doing, John? I'm doing well. We're in the same place right now. We're both in Missoula, Montana. Hank right now is opening up one of the 378 pieces of peanut butter taffy uh, we received here at the Missoula offices. Thank you, person uh-huh. who sent that. Hank, do you have a name? Uh, it says Salty Road on the package. I don't know who sent it. Well, we're very grateful for it. And if you could just turn the microphone away and also leave the room, because that is the loudest chewing noise I have ever heard in my entire life. It was really cheery. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just found out a new fear that I have or a new thing that causes me anxiety, and it is the sound of my brother chewing loudly. <laughs> so uh, I'm doing well. Hank, for the last three weeks, we've been on tour together, and I have been um, engaging in an experiment. I don't know if you've known about this, but I've been engaging in an experiment called How Poor Does a Hotel Bathtub Have to Be for Me Not to Want to Take a <laughs> Bath in It? What? So what are the qualities of a tub you're looking for in a tub? There's cleanliness, obviously. That's (laughs) probably at the top of the list for me. And then there's depth and width and length, um, all of which are important. And, of course, in the opinion of America's hotels, are important in that, you know, more of them means more water wasted. So they try to absolutely minimize the depth, length, (laughs) and uh, height of a bathtub, which has meant that I've taken a lot of baths where I was like, I feel... Like a big person in a tiny, <laughs> tiny bathtub. I feel like this bathtub this was made like for three-year-olds. Girled up in a little ball in the fetal position on your side, just I, being like, how do I get more of my body God, into the water? Just barely get my knees wet or my shoulders wet. Never both. It occurs to me that this may be why I don't take baths, because this is what my bathtubs have always been like in my homes. Oh, no. That's one of the first things that I made like, sure of. I can't of. get my knees and my shoulders in at the same time. Oh, well, then what is the point of going on living? <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe maybe I don't like baths because I've never had a true bath. Oh, my God. I, um, I Imagine being 37 years old and discovering for the first time ever how good I've been baths in hot tubs. can be. Hot tubs are not baths. Hot tubs are 
Filthy. Hot tubs are taking baths with a bunch of people. Do you know? Let's all take a bath together is basically what that mean, What you say when you say let's go in the hot tub. What a weird idea. Let's all go take a bath together, but with pants on, hopefully. Oh, God. I don't want to talk about hot tubs. It's funny. For somebody who really loves baths, I really hate hot tubs. I think that's understandable because, like, the bath water, you make it go away. This is my main problem with baths is that I feel like I'm in butt water because my butt's in the same water that it's like hot butt water Mm -hmm. because my butt's – yeah. So – but in a hot tub, it's like ancient butt water. It's like the butt water of potentially thousands of people. And diff- on different days. Yeah, that's what I kind of feel about the hotel bathtub. But so far, it hasn't dissuaded me. And as you know, I brought bath salts and bath bombs. I do know this. And so almost every night after the show, I'm enjoying some bath salts and bath bombs. Before we get to the questions from our listeners, we just have to mention one thing really quickly, which is that very soon after this podcast is uploaded, Hank and I will be uh, – almost all the tours sold out except for San Francisco where Hank and I are going to be on Halloween. It's going to be a Halloween spectacular. There's going to be a costume contest. Mm-hmm. Hank and I are going to be extensively costumed. And uh, There may be costume changes. I, my Halloween costume for the San Francisco show is so freaking good. I don't know what it is. It's so good. I don't want to brag, but <laughs> it's phenomenal. Um, so if you want to get tickets to see us in San Francisco, you can do that at turtlesallthewaydownbook.com. Uh, but you can't get tickets to see us anywhere else. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, don't we have Pleasanton? Oh, Pleasanton. Yeah, yeah. Also in the San Francisco area. There are also tickets available for that. On November 1st. Uh, yeah, on November 1st or possibly October 30th. I think it's November 1st, but I could be wrong. Who knows? Point being, uh, we're looking forward to the last week of our tour. Yeah. And also looking forward to being back home with our families. The nice thing about catching the tail end of the tour is that we're good now. We've got it, we've got it sewn up. We know what we're doing. I, I, all, all, I know where all my laugh lines are. Uh, and and I, like, I, I might throw a new one in to see how it goes. And like as the tour goes, I'm like, ah, I know all the best. I know how to do it best. We're better. I wouldn't say we're good yet. Um, I think we put together like a pretty stellar experience, honestly. Like I walk out of that show and I'm like, we did like it was tight. There was a lot of ups and downs. Hey, I'm not just trying to sell tickets here, but I am trying to sell tickets (laughs) in addition to other things. I love I love the confidence of my brother and also (laughs) wish for it. Uh, Let's answer some questions from our listeners. Hank, this question comes from Matt who writes, Dear John and Hank, why does the AM PM change at 12 instead of one? This makes no sense. Step over the door, Matt. No, step over the door, Matt. Why don't you just step on the doormat? That's what the doormat's for. I would step on it. Yeah. I don't care about the bottom of my shoes touching other people's bottoms of their shoes. No. It's not like a hot tub situation. No. It's really kind of the opposite (laughs) of a hot tub situation. Like, I have like three layers of protection between me and the the, the doormat. The doormat's not getting to my toes. And even if it does, like, what do I care what my feet are experiencing? They're gross anyway. I'm not going to put them in my mouth. Oh, oh, unless you're a baby. So we have to cut that Nick. Nick's in the room. For the first time ever, Nick's in the room. Uh, so now when I say we have to cut that Nick, uh, I'm actually speaking to Nick. Yeah. So Nick, we have to cut that. Keep it. Keep all of this. All right. So I looked this up and then I forgot. Yeah. Uh, Great. Which I've done a many different times. So it, it just means basically like AM means before noon and PM means after noon. And so, or, yeah. uh, Yeah. Yep. Yep. So with a switch from PM to AM Mm -hmm. happens when it becomes before noon. Uh, Yeah. 
Right. And so it is before it, it, it is after midnight and before noon at 12.01. And the important thing to note yeah. is that in everywhere else, mm-hmm. that's not midnight. It's it is. It's midnight, but it's not 12. It's zero. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. They always talk about oh, 0800 hours or zero dark 30. Oh, zero my. dark 30 being the 30 minutes after midnight. Zero daytime 30. I'm not I'm, I'm going to level with you, Hank. I'm not in the military. The zero um, day 30. Zero, that doesn't sound like a thing that's happened. I think it's called zero, zero dark 30 and zero bright 30. Bright that's my guess. Zero 30. bright 30. Yeah, so it's just like, hey, everybody, we're going to meet for the big raid at zero bright 30. <laughs> zero dark 30 is a very late or very early time of day. What is the Some opposite of zero dark 30? unspecified time between midnight and dawn, apparently, according to the online slang dictionary.com. Oh, yeah, great. The, great. The, the poor <laughs> or, man's urban dictionary. half an hour past midnight. That seems more like it. Zero dark 30 is half an hour past midnight. What's, but what's half an hour past noon? Is it just 1230? <laughs> That's what it is. It's twelve thirty yeah, because they do. Certainly not they zero use 20, day thirty. They use a twenty-four hour calendar, so that's that's what it is. Calendar. It's twelve thirty. Yeah, it's a calendar, Hank. A twenty-four hour calendar. It's a wall that's, calendar. Oh, we're moving it's on a, to the next question. This my, question comes. From, yeah, what do you, do you have? The new i the new Apple i calendar. Yeah, it's great. I that's <laughs> how I get my. I actually make that mistake frequently when I'm setting my alarm because we've had to get up at weird hours on this tour, mm-hmm. and I always hit calendar, and then I'm like, "Where's my <laughs> alarm clock?" So actually, yes, that is true. This question comes from it's your turn to ask a question (laughs) this question comes from our listener greta who asks dear hank and john my best friend and i have our first class of the day together and she is a forgetful person i am this person by the way almost every day she asks me for a pen to borrow i can't i don't know why i never brought pens to school but i am this person which is uh fine with me but then throughout the class she chews on it no i am not this person no, your friend Greta is no longer your friend, Greta. This person is not your friend, Greta. I think I've done this before. I'm a, Chewed on someone else's pen? Oh, well, I am an inveterate pen chewer, or I was sure. when I was in uh, college and high school. Of course, I, I no longer uh, own or use pens except Sharpies. Um, <laughs> hashtag sponsored. Uh, this whole tour, by the way, I've been signing with the uh, Sharpie sent me 96 free Sharpies because I guess they don't listen to the pod. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, the whole the whole tour, I've been signing with my green Sharpies that say John Green's number one marker. And in almost every city, a bookseller is like, did you get personalized Sharpies made? And I'm like, I'm not sure if it makes it better or worse that I got personalized Sharpies <laughs> sent to me. Yeah, like, like yeah, un, un asked for personalized Sharpies. I didn't ask for them in so many words, but I yeah. did at reply Sharpie and just let them know that I was a big customer. You are a big customer. Uh, so, so Greta goes on to uh, say, uh, what am I supposed to do when she gives me the pen back? Take the slobber pen or just let her keep it? Yeah, let her keep it. She has now claimed she might as well have peed on it. Like, this is her pen now. <laughs> Is that how you claim ownership over your pens? <laughs> just like, yeah, I have a drawer and I just pee in there a little every morning. These are mine. Yeah. You know, Hank, Hank takes the same approach to ownership as dogs do. I mean, how, how else do you mark your turf, man? Uh, it's, it's legal. It's like blockchain. It's better than blockchain, peeing on stuff. Greta, here's the answer to your question. When the person hands you back the chewed pen, you look them dead in the eye and you say, I would like you to keep that pen and remember to bring it back tomorrow. 
and remember to bring it back or, every day for the rest of class. Or yeah, Greta buys for one dollar and fifty cents. Yeah, of like twenty five pence, and then just has like a pen supply for for her friend, and just like says like you know, hey, we're buds, and like, and I'm just gonna keep this in my bag, and this is already earmarked, and I I've lost these pens. Right. And if the if the the friend gives the pen back, you say you keep it, and if they're like, oh, I insist that you take this the thing that I might as well have peed on, you just throw like bring a ziploc. And place it in there like it's an evidence bag. <laughs> just close it up. And, and then just, just like, toss it in the trash yeah. as a way of making it absolutely clear that what no, you've done is what to the you pen need to is do. unacceptable. You bring a Ziploc yeah. and then you take the pen from your front and you place it in the Ziploc and then you write out a little tag, <laughs> like the date, and you place that in, and you zip it up right in front of her and you, or him. I don't know. You didn't mention the gender then, of this person. Then when they go to visit you in your dorm room eventually, <laughs> you have this like yeah. huge... Just, Framed yeah. collection of all the signed of all the signed. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a sports room where they have like every one of the home runs from that year, just like tacked tacked uh, up. But uh, instead, uh, it's all of the a sports room, a locker room. I think is the place I was thinking. Th- of. No, it's called a sports room. You know how um, sometimes people like when their baby gets the first haircut, they keep a keep a lock of the hair from the first haircut. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Has Orin had a haircut yet? No, Probably no, probably not. Mm-mm. So we did that. Um, but one time I was visiting somebody. I'm not going to name them for reasons that will become obvious. And um, I went into the bathroom and I noticed that they had a huge collection of locks of hair. And I found out that they had saved a lock of hair from every haircut their child had ever gotten until Mm. the age of 18. (gasps) Uh, Were they like separately bagged or were they just like in a pile? No, they were framed. Oh. Each individual one? Each individual one with a date below oh, the frame. And I was like, who's... Until 18? I so I came outside and I was like, hey, uh, in Wait, your bathroom... In the, in the public a, space? It's the guest bathroom. I, it wasn't like the only bathroom in the home. It was the guest bathroom. And so I was like... And they also had a really good art collection. So I thought maybe like, maybe it's art? Maybe it's art. And I went in. So I was like, hey, who made the piece of the... With the hair? Is that with, is art? And they said, oh, no, that's our kid's hair. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, no, of course. That's totally normal. That's, that's normal. Um, that's like, I, 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 my friend Greta has a pen collection of chewed pens. It's very similar. <laughs> John, do you want to know the most, imba- probably the most embarrassing thing about me? Yeah. All right. So uh, you guys didn't hear the most embarrassing thing because I decided it was too embarrassing for the pod. Uh, I made a kind of a team decision. Actually, not because Hank was concerned about how embarrassing it was, but because it's so embarrassing for me as somebody who loves Hank. So it's one of those things where like sometimes you need somebody to come in and care about you enough to say no. So instead, I'm just going to tell you the second most embarrassing thing about Hank for a little bit of context so you can understand how embarrassing the thing that you'll never hear about is. The second most embarrassing thing about Hank is that for about 18 months, he faked a British accent. That's not entirely true. It is entirely true. It was like a Canadian British accent. But, uh, it was like if a British person moved to Minnesota when they turned seven. He only spoke in that accent and we would be like, Hank, we're, we notice. It, like, it, it, it doesn't, you don't sound like yourself. And he'd be like, but, but whatever do you mean? <laughs> so 
that's the second most embarrassing thing about my brother. This next question comes from Thomas, and you'll never guess why I wanted to ask it as I read it. Dear John and Hank, I pre-ordered John's new book with the goal of giving it to my girlfriend for Christmas. She doesn't usually read that much, but she's a huge fan of your book, so I decided to grab a signed edition as soon as I could. I normally have a hard time picking out gifts for her, which is why I decided to buy her a gift so early this year. Fast forward to this morning when the book arrives in my mailbox, I decided to message one of her friends to try and covertly dissuade her from buying herself a copy, and her friend told me that my girlfriend just this morning went out to the local bookstore and got a copy of Turtles All the Way Down, but she didn't buy it for herself. She got it to give me at Christmas. So now I know that we're both got got each other the same thing for Christmas. My question is, should I get her something different, or is it okay to exchange copies of the exact same book? It is not just okay. It is adorable. <laughs> Thomas, how did you fail to notice how incredibly cute this is? It'll be like get the and you're like, wow, this feels familiar. Continue. P.S. Is it okay to read a book that you're planning on giving as a gift? <laughs> <laughs> That's the better question, because absolutely, yes, exchange the gift and pretend like you didn't know, and it'll be cute. Yeah, ideally pretend that you didn't know. Like, sometimes when you're... some. I think some relationship dynamics dictate that you have to eventually reveal that right. you knew. Um, but some relationship dynamics don't. I don't know how it works for you, Thomas. But uh, is it okay to read a book that you're planning on giving as a gift? I think yes, as long as yeah. you read it very gently. Read it gently, and maybe also say... I read this. Right. And I loved it. That's, and that's, I'd like to talk to you about it. I hope you loved yeah. it, by the way, Thomas. That was presumptuous. <laughs> I read this and I loved it. It was perfect. And uh, it has got a starred review from the Library Journal of Children. I found myself agreeing with The Guardian that it might be a new classic. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, what a, yeah. But I think it's okay to read a book. Uh, what I don't think is okay to read a book uh, that you give as a gift. And I've had someone do this t- for me before. And oh, yeah? they thought it was like sweet and romantic. And I thought it was... Uh, a little bit presumptuous was to read the book before giving it to me and to highlight their favorite <gasps> passages. Mm. It's kind of sweet in a way, but in another way, it affects my read in a way that I don't necessarily like. I don't know. That's interesting. I think that th- that's a little bit like a mixtape to me. So you're not just giving the book now. You're saying like, this is about me in some way. So like th- this book, I've, I'm giving you this book and it's something that I've kind of curated and created for you. Right. I guess maybe it's just that this breakup didn't go that well and now I'm biased by that experience. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that there are both both good and bad things to that. Uh and I think that that would be that is sort of to me more acceptable if it's something like if it's a classic or if it's um like yeah. turtles all the way down according to the guardian. <laughs> New modern classic. Yeah. Yeah. This next question <laughs> Well, yeah, it's available at bookstores everywhere. By the way, <laughs> absolutely everywhere. You know, I went to I went to the the bookstore and the the airport in Minneapolis, yeah. and uh, it wasn't in the like front display. And I was like, I like went to the people and I was like, "Where's Turtle All the Way Down?" They're like, "Well, it's in bestsellers in YA." And I was like, "What? <laughs> Just two places? <laughs> That's all you got? It should be out. Like I should have to trip over them to get into the store. Come on." <laughs> Dan Brown's all up in this business. Where's my brother? Um, and uh, and then the person who I talked to was like, great show last night, by the way. <laughs> she got me to sign the guest book. And she was, she was a fan. 
Very nice person. But Very nice probably person. didn't need to get like hard charged about turtles all the way down placement, which I suspect probably also wasn't her call. Not really her call. This next question it comes from Paige, who asks, Dear Hank and John, uh, I have a deep burning question that has plagued me. Why have we not evolved to withstand a greater amount of heat in our bodies, specifically our mouths? The planet's climate is changing and has been for millions of years, so shouldn't I be able to drink a pumpkin spice latte at 140 degrees Fahrenheit without burning my taste buds off? Ow! Paige! Sounds like Paige is having a moment right here. Yeah. He needed to email us during it. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's my suspicion, and correct me if I'm wrong, Hank, uh, evolution is pretty slow. And also, <laughs> it, it tends to focus on, like, major survival concerns. Right. Pumpkin spice latte is pretty new. Also, not a major survival concern. No, maybe in the future. It's just going to be, it's like the, the way the PSL graph has been going, it does seem like in a number of like maybe two or three years, that will be all of food in the fall. I didn't know what the PSL graph was, but then I figured it out from context. It's the pumpkin spice latte graph. Latte graph. Latte graph. Mother of God. It's the pumpkin spice latte graph. I mean, that's the new She Sells Seashells by the Seashore. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, yeah, but... Uh, you know, we actually are better at eating hot food. Like, our, our mouths are, are better at handling heat than, like, our hands are. Really? Than other skin places. Oh, which is probably an evolutionary yeah. thing. Because if it's good enough for the hands, it's definitely good enough for the mouth. Yeah, that's part of it. And also, like, when we started cooking food, like... You put a lot of hot stuff in your mouth, and you don't want that to be a source of, like, infection. So mouth mm. cells grow grow back very fast. So when you burn your mouth, it heals much faster than if you burn your skin. So a <clears throat> little something there. I am not concerned about – okay. I have a question. I have a, I, I have a related question about mm-hmm. this. It's about Tuatara. Okay. Um, it, it's only tangentially related. Have you ever given a Tuatara pumpkin spice latte? Because that sounds interesting. Not yet. I mean, but I'm, so many experiments are still waiting to be done on the world's Tuatara. Here's my question. Tuatara, one of the oldest terrestrial vertebrates still around. Their body forms haven't changed much in 150 million years, but they have this incredibly fast rate of molecular evolution. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the, what's it they called? They mutate a lot. They their, their cells mutate a lot, mm-hmm. uh, which makes some people think that maybe cells used to mutate a lot more than they do now, mm-hmm. uh, but makes other people not think that. Here's my question. Since they have this really high metabolic evolution rate, or since they have this high, since they have this really high molecular evolution rate compared to most newer animals, why haven't their bodies changed? I mean, <clears throat> so you can kind of, Think of this a little bit like if you get to the bottom of a well, um, you might not be the deepest you can get in the well, but to get to another place, to get deeper, you have to get all the way back out of the well and go down a different hole. So Tuatar might have sort of gotten to as good as they can get without sort of like starting over a lot. Right. Okay. So like, like it definitely like they are pretty close to as good as they can get for for you know the the strategies that they're using. Right, but they're not great, I have to say, at most things. Yeah. Like Tuatar are really good at living for a long time and at hanging around on earth for 150 million years and those literally the only two things they're really good at. <laughs> the other thing is like evolution is spurred by a lot of different things and and like 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 differentiation is spurred by a lot of different things and that can be like you need evolutionary pressure so if there isn't a lot of evolutionary pressure 
forcing them to adapt, then they they might not adapt very much. Like they might just sort of like keep all of the things that are working for them working. And, and that's the main goal of being a Tuatara. Um, and also you don't, because Tuatara are sort of, they, they were just in one place, just on the mainland of New Zealand and, and surrounding islands, then, you know, like there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of separation of the species to let them sort of explore different paths. Thanks, Hank. That's helpful. And also helpful to readers of Turtles All the Way Down, my new book. If you want to learn more about Tuatara, Turtles All the Way Down, available uh, in two different places at the Minneapolis bookstore and at the airport. <laughs> Which reminds me that this podcast <laughs> is brought to you by John Green's new book, Turtles All the Way Down. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the last week, Hank. I will make us flog turtles all the way down relentlessly on the pod. Yeah, we got. We'll start doing PodCon right after that. <laughs> so we really need to sell some PodCon tickets. It's going to be a freaking great time. The agenda's on the website now. Sorry, that's not a sponsor. That's for next week. PodCon.com. <laughs> a great place for my new book. It's very confusing. This this podcast is also brought to you by my fake Minnesotan British accent. Why? I'm so glad the internet didn't exist and there are no videos of that. Oh, my, that's a great point, Hank. It could be so much worse because I'm sure as bad as I remember it being, I'm sure it was worse in real life. Today's podcast is also brought to you by our San Francisco show. Oh, my God. And our Pleasanton show. <laughs> actual things that are actually happening that we would love to see you people from California at. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Slobber Pen Evidence Bags. They're just Ziploc bags, but they're available, and you can put your slobber pens in them and nail them to the wall and have a hall of fame of slobber pens. <laughs> or just or just do that, and people like they'll come into your bathroom and be like, why are there a bunch of pens and Ziploc bags in your bathroom? And you'll be like, it's art. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. This next, question, this next question comes from Kyle, who writes, Dear Green Brothers, I always love it when you shill for yourselves on the pod. 
It's a true question, Hank. You highlighted it. It helps me to keep up with all the amazing new things you're both doing. What product or service are you making or providing that you haven't shilled for on the pod? No, I'd nothing, love to nothing. hear about it. <laughs> I'd love to hear about it. Only for a while, Kyle. <laughs> I mean, That's a great sign off. Uh, yeah. Also, Kyle knows how to get this question on the pod. I know, yeah. This is like, hey, hey, by the way, could you, like, anybody wants to write in a question and be like, this is your chance to talk about a thing you need to tell people about. Um, There is something. What? Pizzamas. Oh, yeah. It's Pizzamas, the most magical time of the (laughs) year. Oh, my God. Every year for two weeks, Hank and I make a video every weekday back and forth to each other like we did back in 2007. And it's a celebration of love and brotherhood and also e-commerce. Uh, you can go to dftba.com and there's a bunch of Pizzamas merch that's only available during Pizzamas. And after this will never be available again. Every year there's different Pizzamas stuff. This year we've got lots of amazing Pizzamas items available at dftba.com. So there you go, Kyle. Just when you thought we couldn't self-shield anymore, it turned out <laughs> it I found yet another level. This next question comes from Anjali, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm in a public health class in my college right now, and we recently learned about the influenza vaccines, and apparently they're made inside of chicken eggs. I was shocked, but willing to go along until my professor asked us what would happen during an apocalypse. What if a flu pandemic broke out during the apocalypse? Would we try to make a vaccine? Is there a supply of emergency chickens for this situation? Concerned about our world's supply of emergency chickens, among other things, Anjali. I don't think that's our biggest concern. Like the apocalypse, like the flu pandemic after the apocalypse, I'm like, no, no, this is a legitimate concern. Because once once all the, I think about this a lot, but like once all the like primary <laughs> health facilities sort of break apart and vaccines are part of that, but there's mm-hmm. lots of other things as well, like yeah, sanitation yeah. especially. Yep. Um, yeah, there will be like huge global pandemics um, that are a big right. problem. In fact, we already see this to an extent um, in places where there's a big breakdown of the social and political order, like in Yemen right now. There's probably, in in the end, the cholera outbreak in Yemen will probably be the largest cholera outbreak in many decades. And it's not because we don't have a vaccine for cholera. We do. It's not because cholera isn't preventable. It is. It's because we aren't using, you know. Because we can't get in there to do all the things we need to do. And also that, like, we as a global community have chosen not to devote the resources that would be necessary to do Mm -hmm. the things that we would have to do. So I am actually worried about that. I think that's legit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my concern isn't the supply of chickens. I think that we'll probably keep chickens around. Yeah. Um, uh, it turns out that they're not hard to maintain, though, the way that we're currently doing it, maybe. I am concerned that, like, you don't just need a chicken and an egg to make a vaccine. You need a laboratory and you need, yeah. you need production facilities. And those are the things that I'm more worried about. Yeah, you need down. electricity. You need running water. <clears throat> you need, yeah, you need a lot of things that we might struggle to have. Here's the thing, though, Anjali. If things start to break down like that, we're going so far down. Like, <laughs> things are going to get so bad that I think Hank's probably right that on the list of, like, on the list of, like, worries – that's the thing about doomsday prepping, Anjali. You can only do so much of it because mm-hmm. the truth is it's going to be awful. And even if you live, it's going to suck. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm so glad, I, so glad I pulled that question out, John. I don't know what I don't else really, to say. I mean, like... It, I don't have anything else to say either. I got, mean, it's, yeah. Like, it would be very, very bad. This is like, I just... 
Stability is so important and we take it for granted so much. Stability is so underrated. Political and social stability. Like we need change. We need to change progressively and and actively and continue the change in making the world a more fair and equitable place. Uh, But we also need not to have a civil war. Like it's both. (laughs) Like we do desperately need political change. And I completely agree with you. Like the world is deeply unfair and we must make it less unfair. We must make the world more just. And that is like, I think, the calling of humans. Yeah. But we also cannot afford to have a complete breakdown of the political stability of, of Earth, because if that happens, it would be devastating to human populations and most devastating to the most vulnerable human populations. So be nice to each other. And also um, fight, 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 fight to uh, make your government take climate change seriously. <laughs> you got another right. question for us, Travis? Yeah, I got another question for you, Hank. <clears throat> um, I'm glad that we got that out of the way. <laughs> We've been all over the place today. Yeah. I mean, this is this has been an adventure. I, where even are we? Yeah. Okay. Is it AM or PM? Who is knows? It AM? It's zero bright 30. This question comes from Garnet, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my boyfriend and I are planning to become engaged this winter. We've already agreed to marry each other, but we want family there for the actual proposal. It's a secret. Are we engaged? <laughs> Either this engagement is like a secret snake, we've already have it, but nobody knows, or it's like a secret fiddle recital. We know it will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Those are two um, deep, 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 deep cut yeah. uh, Dear Hank and John jokes. So thank you, Garnet, yeah. for listening so closely to the pod. Please help us solve this riddle of the Schrodinger's engagement. Butts, 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 Garnet. Oh, that's another callback that's to a great a, to callback. A, to not a Dear Hank and John joke. Yeah. All right. Here's the thing, Hank. Is this more of a situation where you have made a commitment to get so good at the violin that you are going to have a violin mm-hmm. recital for your family and surprise them? Or is this more like a thing where you already own something, but you haven't announced to the world that you own it? Yeah. Is it a secret snake or is it a secret violin recital? Right. I think it's a secret violin recital. I agree. Be- because and, – and this is a general thing with, with proposals that like you – it almost seems like it's a proposal. I'm making this proposal. And so on some level, I want it to be a surprise. But also, I don't want it to be a surprise because I don't want you to be like, all right, I have, you know, three seconds to decide whether or not I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Uh, I want to have that conversation a number of times in a number of ways and discuss a number of different things before it's like, here's the, the diamond. Right. Or not. Or diamond, not diamond. A, a sapphire from Montana. Is that what you got? No, I got my uh, my great grandmother's ring. Oh, you didn't get that one. Hank's I don't always know. saving money. <laughs> Mom offered. <laughs> she she said she said she came. This dead woman came to my mother in a dream and told her to give me the ring. So that's that, I can't say no to that. And Hank's Hank's response was, uh, "Thanks for saving me five hundred bucks," <laughs> which is what he would have spent on a ring. Um, anyway, moving on. Yeah, I don't think you're engaged because I I think. Part of being engaged, maybe, is uh, it being known to your family. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that's part of the process. By the way, I don't think you have to get engaged. I think you can just get married if you want to. Also, the great thing about that is you never have to say the word fiancé, ever. Oh, God, I hate that word so much. Uh, it's I don't, like, I'm fine. I just hate, I hated using it. I hated feeling, this is my fiancé, Catherine. I'm like, I have to have this intermediate word that I'm going to use for six months. And if I say girlfriend, people are going to get mad at me. <laughs> Yeah, or just, uh, yeah, it's an awkward, and, and 
we and used to say we used to say partner, yeah. But even that is 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 awkward. Somehow. Yeah, because they're like, so you're in business together. What do you sell? No, but it, then it's more like, well, are you married or not married? And what? Yeah. And then well, it, just, it yeah. gets into a whole conversation. I have a new answer to this question, Hank. I've thought about it more, and my new answer is that you are engaged literally when you both agree that you are engaged, and not until then. <laughs> okay, that is my I new like definition it. of engagement. I'm in. This next question comes from Jennifer, who asks, Dear Hank and John, if telescopes work using mirrors, does that mean it's possible that outer space is full of vampires? Jennifer. Great question, Jennifer. Um, couple things. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel about this, Hank, but I don't think vampires are real. <laughs> I don't think that you could just say something like that as if it's known, because outer space could be full of vampires. It could be. It could be. It could be. I mean, to be clear, uh, we don't just we don't just detect space with with mirrors. There are other ways we do it. But the question is, would would vampires be detected but through any of those means? Like, are they are they sort of the the ambient temperature of ba- of space? Do they like block background radiation? Well, I mean, I don't really like I, the the fact that you can't see them in a mirror. Like, it makes me think that there's something very weird about vampires on the scale of like weird the way that dark matter is weird. Like, we don't understand how that works. Like, how could something be visible uh, in one like how, like something can't be visible standing there, but not when the light happens to be reflected off a mirror. It just doesn't make any sense. So I'm thinking vampires are dark matter. It's a theory. I was going to go in a different direction with this question. The thing this question made me think of is how incredibly hard it is to prove a negative. Like mm-hmm. if somebody says, uh, you're a communist, and then you say, well, no, I'm, I'm actually not. I'm not a communist. And they're like, well, prove it. That becomes very difficult, right? It becomes very difficult to prove, like, that's one of the great, like, political strategies of the 2017 Twitter-driven political <laughs> discourse is the, um, you make a wild accusation, mm-hmm. and then everyone's like, well, no, that doesn't make any sense. But then you can keep finding data that makes it so that the accusation isn't completely refuted, so that it is not right. quite yet irrefutable. And that is a little bit like vampires in space. So when we see ourselves, I would say when we see ourselves in situations, either where we are making accusations or, or, or uh, looking into accusations, consider the possibility that it might be a vampires in space question. That like the thing that you're trying to disprove or prove, is it a vampires in space moment is my question. That's what I would right. ask you to hold on to. Oh, I'm Hank. I'm very discouraged about the political discourse in the United States right now. I know that I've said that a few times in the last year, but I am, I am more discouraged than I have been at any point, I think, ever in my whole life. It's very worrisome to me. Uh huh. Vampires in space. I feel like we, like occasionally, I'll have this moment where I'm like, "Oh my lord, we are monkeys with guns," like we have been given a tool that we do not understand yes. and we do we have not figured it out yet yes. and it is dangerous. Yeah, the social internet is totally a monkeys with guns situation <laughs> where like we don't even understand the consequences of it. So like we keep pulling the trigger and things keep dying and we keep being like why did that happen? <laughs> Like, we don't understand what the trigger does yet, you yeah, know? It's yeah. not really monkeys with guns. It's more like anteaters with guns or something. <laughs> it's like aardvarks with Aardvarks guns. with guns. That's what it is. Because, like, 
It's like you're, you you don't like at least monkeys could make the like yeah, they could make like, the connection yeah, between like the trigger a monkey pulling would be and like, the death. Oh, I understand that this is a gun, right? I pointed this at stuff and they die, right? But, uh, and but we're the- just like pow 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 pow. pow. <laughs> oh man, stuff's got stuff got real weird in here. Why did everything look so weird? Everything everything's worse now. I don't understand. But it's like a gun where the sound of firing the gun gives you a little uh, little hit, rush of dopamine, a little hit of dopamine <laughs> in the reward center of your brain, and because we're aardvarks with guns we're like man i love that sound <laughs> and so you just keep firing the gun and you're like god this sound is great there are fewer aardvarks in the world right now but i love this sound i want to keep making it and then you're like man why are all my friends dying i love this sound give me more of the sound now that i'm lonelier because all my friends are dead i need more of the sound i need it more than ever give me the sound oh i hate this i hate this metaphor so much oh my god it's <laughs> Hank, you have stumbled upon a metaphor for the social internet that might just have changed my whole life. It might be that I have to get off the internet because now I realize that I'm just an aardvark with a gun. I don't even know how you're pulling the trigger. They don't have fingers. They, they don't They don't know how they're pulling the trigger either. We have no idea what we're doing. And with that noted, let's move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Okay, John, the yes. news from Mars is great news. Oh, good. Uh, my cheeks hurt. Oh. Uh, due to smiling into the face of of doom, um, but mm-hmm. the Curiosity rover's drill uh, it it drills into some rocks, and you can get like rock powder, and you can find out not just what's on the surface of the rock, but also what's inside of the rock. This is a useful tool that broke. Um, mm. It's hard to drill on other planets, um, and I think it's something to do with a stabilizer. So the drill itself is okay, but the thing that stabilizes it so that it can go in and not get stuck um, broke. And so they have been working for a long time on how to maybe get the drill to work, despite the fact that the drill doesn't work. And they uh, are doing it. They've figured out a way, they think, uh, and they're, they're testing it right now to, to, uh, to drill on Mars again. It's been, I think, al- almost a year, more than a year uh, that they haven't been able to drill. And uh, they're basically using, like, some parts of the rover that were not meant to be used to do this uh, to uh, like get the get the drill bit to go in, but uh, have it so that there's like we're, they're measuring the pressure so that it it's not confused about uh, about like sort of its connection to the side of the rock as it enters the rock and anything pushing to the side of that could make it so that the drill would get stuck and then they'd just have to break the drill bit and they would definitely not be able to drill anything on Mars anymore. Um, and that way, uh, that new drilling technique is going to allow them to start drilling on Mars again, see what's on the inside of some new rocks. Uh, now that they're on a different part of the side of Mount Sharp, they are sort of moved up the lake bed some more and they can find out more about this wonderful lake bed. And they've been um, doing this basically using a... Uh, like a version of curiosity that's here on earth. So it's basically a one, like just a mock-up of the exact thing and they can uh, do a bunch of tests. And I love seeing like the scientists pictures of scientists with the, you know, the model curiosity on earth. Cause you're like, that thing is freaking huge. Like yeah. you forget how huge it it's is. It's a minivan. Um, and then, and it also was like, how did that scientist get to Mars? Right. <laughs> Cause you're used to seeing it on Mars. But I love that. Like they, they have to go in and look at the problems and think, okay, well, so how would I solve that problem if I couldn't touch it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. How would I deal with this problem if it were millions of miles away and had to fix itself? Yeah. yeah. And they did it. 
Yeah, that's engineers. pretty awesome. Engineers are amazing. Speaking of amazing, um, that's actually not a very good transition into the AFC Wimbledon situation. <laughs> well, amazing is, you know, there's different kinds of amazing. It's ama- things are amazingly worrisome. Um, AFC Wimbledon, after winning two league games, uh, lost one to the lowest team in the table, which was very, it's very worrisome. Yeah. Uh, and and at this point, AFC Wimbledon are not currently in the relegation zone. Uh, they are have 15 points after 15 games, but they are only one place away. They are in 20th and places 21 through 24 in League One all go down to League Two. Of more concern, uh, AFC Wimbledon's leading striker, uh, Kwesi Apia, Apia, I don't know how to say his name, I apologize, uh, has had a hamstring injury for a while, ah. and it looks like uh, he has had a setback and is going to miss an additional couple weeks. Uh, Neil Ardley, the manager of AFC Wimbledon, said, if we weren't creating chances and our stats were low, then we would have real cause for concern. L- let me submit that we do have real cause for concern, as our <laughs> stats are, I would argue, low-ish. I mean, uh, 15 games. Nine goals. Not great. Not great. Uh, fewest goals in the league. Not, I would say our stats are low-ish. <laughs> um, but, uh, you so, know. So how long has this hamstring injury been happening? Is this uh, part of the reason why there aren't a lot of goals? Or is like he your like, lead striker, but he's never scored a goal before? He had a few games and he didn't didn't score much. But uh, but he only had a few games before he got injured. He The truth is that it. You know, we are now one third of the way into the season. It is going to be a very, it's going to be one of those years where it's going to be difficult. And like the second season in a new league is is usually harder than the first season. And um, it's going to be hard to stay in League One. But I believe that AFC Wimbledon can do it. It's just instead of like rooting for them to make the playoffs, we're going to be rooting for them to narrowly avoid the drop. And that's going to be the kind of year it is. All right. I'm sorry, John. That's okay. We're going to be, we're just going to get points where we can find them, Hank. Just, it's going to be okay. Don't panic. Uh, speaking of not panicking, do you want to look at this picture of Aardvark fingers? Mm, yeah. Oh, Aardvarks could totally shoot a gun. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> Those are, those are, we'll put those on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John, if you want to get a good look at Aardvark, Aardvark Fingers. I'm crushing it on the pronunciation today. Uh, All right, Hank. Also, if you go to Patreon, you can get our uh, semi-weekly short patron-only podcast, This Week in Ryan's. This Week in Ryan's. Which I don't know if we're going to be able to do today, hopefully. Yeah, we're going to do it real quick. I'm ready. I got a Ryan all ready for us. Okay, Hank, what did we learn today? We learned that don't chew on your friend's things. We learned that uh, Hank and John have many things currently available from (laughs) DFTBA.com to our show in San Francisco to my new book, Turtles All the Way Down. We learned all of those things. We also learned that you should keep a lock of your child's hair for the first haircut but not every haircut. And of course, we learned that the second most embarrassing thing about Hank <laughs> is that for about a year, he had a fake British accent. But you did not learn the most embarrassing thing about Hank, which probably is the right call, yeah. considering the face that Nick made I think, when we talked about I, I it. I think Nick's going to keep that one in the vault for <laughs> if he ever needs... <laughs> just a raise. Just needs a favor. <laughs> All right, Hank, thank you for potting with me, and thanks to everybody for listening. This podcast is produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our social media and community manager is Victoria Bongiorno. It's edited by Nicholas Jenkins, who is watching us. Hey, Nick. He was there the whole time. Yeah. Saw him giggling at things. Our music is by the great Gunnarola. 
Uh, thank you again for listening. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. awesome.